Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There was no one who could get inside Michael Scott's head quite like Daryl from The Office. Daryl, <clears throat> have you ever been in a gang? What? It's an advice question, and if you don't want to talk about it, I completely understand. It's, um... No, no, no. I know, it's very, very personal, no, so... No, um... I have... I knew it. Okay. What are we talking about here? Crips, Bloods? Both. God. Yeah, them and the Latin Kings. The Warriors. Okay. Newsies. Okay, so dig this. You're on the street, and one of your gang disses you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. All right, so what do you do to get them to make it right? Well, see, um, in the gang world, we use something called fluffy fingers. What is that? That's where somebody really gets in your face. You know, you just start tickling them. Really? Yeah. And he starts tickling you. You know, pretty soon you laughing and hugging. Before you know it, you've forgotten the whole thing. Y'all can just go to church together and get an ice cream cone. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Craig Robinson fucking with Steve Carell in one of their many incredible scenes together on The Office. Craig is almost certainly best known for that role, the one that transformed his career when he joined the show a few episodes into its first season way back in 2005. But he has also spent the past 15 years or so stealing scenes in some of my favorite comedy movies like Knocked Up, Pineapple Express, and This Is The End. Now he is the star of his very own show on Peacock called Killing It, in which he plays a down-and-out divorced dad in Florida who is forced to start hunting snakes to make ends meet. It is a completely ridiculous premise that ends up being very funny. Here's a clip from the first episode in which Craig's character is practicing his big pitch for a new business venture. It's 4 a.m. Miami is asleep. But me, I'm wide awake. Why? Am I out at the clubs? Do I rise with the European markets? No. I just really have to pee. <laughs> pause for laughter, pause for laughter. This is an all too familiar story for a man of over 40, 50, or even 60. So what's the deal? Chances are you're suffering from benign prostatic hyperplasia. In other words, you have an enlarged prostate, son. It's too black. It's too black. In other words, you have an enlarged prostate, sir. Frequent need, weak stream, post urination dribbling. This has to stop. But luckily, Nessa, up. I'm dropping you at your mom's. I have to be at work early. In a minute, Dad. There's an all-natural supplement that's proven to work. Saw palmetto berries. Before we get to that conversation, I am so excited to announce that The Last Laugh just received our very first Webby Award nomination for Best Interview Slash Talk Show. 
We have some pretty stiff competition from Jon Stewart, Stephen Colbert, and Drew Barrymore, all of whom are welcome to come on this podcast anytime, by the way. So we are really going to need your help to win this thing. If you are listening right now, that hopefully means you enjoy this podcast. So please help show your support by doing something that will literally take two minutes. Go to vote.webbyawards.com and vote for the last laugh in the interview slash talk show podcast category. We'll put a direct link in the description for this episode as well to make it as easy as possible. The deadline is Thursday, April 21st, so make sure to get your vote in before then, and I will appreciate you forever. All right, let's get on with today's show. Here's me with Craig Robinson. Well, I want to start by talking about this new show, uh, Killing It, because I've been watching it. I've seen about five episodes and really, really no enjoying way. it. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Um, I'm digging it. And everyone has the opportunity to see, uh, as we're talking, to see the, the first one. I know they put it up early on Peacock. Were you, uh, yes. Have you been getting some feedback uh, from anyone so far now that it's out in the world? No, a couple of very nice uh, Twitter messages. Not a lot. I don't, I don't know who's seeing what. But yeah, and a couple of friends have checked it out. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been all positive. Yeah, I think it's a really funny show, and I know you 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 uh, star in it and also produced it with some of the Brooklyn Nine Nine folks, right? Correct, correct. Uh, Dan Gore and Luke Del Tradici and Mark Shulman. So is that is this something that they kind of came to you and? Yeah, well, you know, so here's how it all began. You know, I've been working with Brooklyn Nine Nine for uh, as Doug Judy for you know many years, and uh, and towards the end of Brooklyn Nine Nine, maybe. I don't know, two or three years ago now. The um, I'm, We met with Dan, Mark Schumann and myself, met, met with Dan, and, uh, and Dan was like, hey, we want to do something with you. So then he, Luke came into the fold. So Dan and Luke and Mark and, and myself would sit up in uh, in Hollywood and, uh, and and eat at a diner, John and Vinny's. John and Vinny's. And, oh, yeah. uh, I love John yeah, and Vinny's. Yeah, yeah, they do good work in there. And... Uh, and so we talked about what what, what you know what we all wanted to do, or we all, you know that kind of stuff. And they, they went away, came back with some ideas. And what do you think about these three ideas? And you know, one was about this, one was that. And then they talked about this uh, this story about the, uh, how in Florida they they have to pay people to kill snakes, you know. And and um and it just it it, it just was something about it. It was like wow. I don't, See anything like this, and that's uh, yeah, a pretty unique premise for a show. Exactly. So, so we uh, said, okay, roll with that, and then, then we got to rolling and got the pitch together, and it was looking great. It was looking great, and then the pandemic happened. <laughs> yeah, you got delayed a little bit. A little bit, but we, you know, uh, it might have been a blessing in disguise in one of those situations. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean your character on the show is uh is pretty scared of snakes at the beginning, uh, and I don't know how many real snakes are in the show, but were you, are, how do you feel about snakes? Are you uh, cool with them? Are you uh, more like the character? So I was like the character until about five years ago, five or six years ago, maybe seven now. But I went to Australia with my band, The Nasty Delicious, and we went to, we went to an animal sanctuary. And um, first of all, you know, snakes get a bad rap, right? Between the the Bible and uh, Indiana Jones, <laughs> yeah. So, so I was in there. You know, we were in Australia, and I was like teasing, like I was going to touch a snake, but I was like, but I wasn't. And then I, I, the, the curiosity got the best of me because it was around my uh, band member's neck, 
and I and I was gonna take the picture like I was afraid to touch it. Then I ended up touching it, and I couldn't believe how beautiful it felt. And uh, and I was like, wow, this snake is amazing. I ended up holding two snakes around my neck, not at the same time, but I ended up holding, you know. And I was like, man, I, I've been I've been I've been wrong. Snakes are cool. So uh, <laughs> so I mean, I'm not telling anybody to go out to a swamp and find a snake and be like, hey, snake. But um, I'm saying that I, I am no longer afraid of snakes like I was five or six or seven years ago. Well, that's so, probably for the best, considering what uh, what you have to do on this show. Um, yes, were, yes. Were there a lot of real snakes that you were actually working with? We did have some real snakes. Uh, we did have a lot of days of, of real snakes, but we, we definitely had some um, on set. And, uh, and I had any, definitely had to get up and close and personal with them. Yeah. Any close calls at any point? Anybody, any, any danger zone? Uh, well, uh, two, two grips got killed, got eaten by snakes. So, but other yeah, than that, no, 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 <laughs> no, everybody worked there. No animals were harmed. No people were harmed. Yeah. Um, the show has a really you know great cast. In addition to you, um, I love Claudia Ordordi, um, who I think you have really great chemistry with. Um, did you know her before or, or how did she end up um, as the kind of co-lead of the show? Thank you. Um, I didn't know her before except for uh, watching like Love. Yeah, she's and, great and, uh, on that. She's great on that. And, and, um, and she, you know, did her video audition. And, you know, it was it was a no brainer after that. It was, it was oh, here we go. And it, it just fits so good. With her. Even with her, you know, being from Australia, it, play, it plays so well <laughs> into the show uh, as that character. So, um, and it's, uh, so yeah, she just, uh, you know, auditioned for it and, and, and got it. You're a businessman. Very cool. My father moved here to be a businessman. And then he died. Sorry to hit it. It's all right. It was sort of the best age to lose your dad as a teenager. So what's this big meeting? I'm trying to buy some land so I could start a saw palmetto farm. It's complicated. Wow. I wish I was good at business. I'm way in debt, which is crazy because I have so many jobs. I Uber, I Lyft, I TaskRabbit, I get paid by creeps online to watch me eat bananas. I do a little elder care. Oh, shit! What? What, what, what? Sorry, I just have to do one thing real quick. No, I have a meeting. I know, but this will just take one second, please. Pretty please? Fine, fine, fine. Great. What's that hammer for? Hammering. Be right back. Um, and then also, I love Tim Heidecker in the show, um, you know, getting to do something, you know, his, this is probably one of his more uh, grounded characters that he's done in some <laughs> ways, um, even though he's a pretty out there character, but he's kind of the villain of the show. And uh, I felt like that was, that was pretty perfect too. What was it like working with him? The show has its, uh, its share of villains for sure. You know, that, that uh, I got to see rail battle m- work more with Tim. So I would, I would get to be on set and watching and cracking up, especially with his first scene where he comes out and uh, you know, you know what I'm saying. I don't want to give away, but you know, but um, yeah, yeah. So I, he's great. He's you know, he's, he's a great dude. We uh, we all had dinner and stuff, but um, it was fun to watch him work. Yeah, your your character on the show has a pretty dark backstory. When we learn, you know, what happened with his his dad and everything. Um, was that something, you know, where did that come from? And was that something that, that was sort of important to to put in there to kind of set him up to have this uh, trajectory? Yeah, that, that's the whole, uh, you know, 
uh, Bambi. Uh, um, yeah, right. <laughs> Bambi, uh, uh, Mufasa, you know. Yeah, the origin story. <laughs> the origin um, kind of attitude. You know, that, that's, that's the guys wrote it in like that. And, you know, it was, it was like, wow, it really gives them, you know, because you can't get any higher stakes than where he has to go. Uh, daily in his, his life to remember, you know? So I want to kind of go back to talk a little bit about the, the beginnings of your comedy career. Um, how did you, how did you start doing comedy in the first place? I was in college and, uh, and comedy chose me. I was always, you know, super silly. Oh, like that's what it was. That was, you were getting a joke, you were getting some, stu- you get a stupid face, a stare down stupidly. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I couldn't stop. And my father was like, you play too much. Everybody, you play too much. And my father one day was like, um, you know, people get paid to do that stuff. I was like, <laughs> excuse me? Right. So, um, and up to that point, uh, being in college, uh, I saw comedians as some kind of superheroes. You know, seeing them on stage and feeling that energy in the crowd. I would go see them, you know, and it's, and it's it never dawned on me that I could get up there and do it, right? Who were some of those comedians that you really looked up to I, at that point? I mean, I, I was seeing, I remember seeing uh, George Wallace in Chicago, I seen uh, Dwayne Kennedy. Uh, uh, it was uh, tons, tons. I would see, I would go, because I got, I, I was interested. You were but a I fan. Was, I was a fan. So, um, so it, it didn't dawn on me that I could do it until, again, I'm in college, and there was a, a, a like a homecoming talent show or something, and I saw two people one who I knew very well, one who I didn't really know that well, but they both went up and did comedy, and it blew my mind. I was like, jokes? What? And so, um, <laughs> so then I ended up getting Judy Carter's stand-up book, and the comedy was the way, like, you know, I say I was silly all the time. Comedy was one of the first things I took seriously. Like, I was serious about getting, you know, figuring out how to do this. And so, um, and uh, one, one, I remember one weekend I drove from college to Chicago, where I'm from Chicago. So it was like a two hour drive from Illinois State. And uh, Richard Jenny was uh, was at the, the funny firm giving a talk for comedians. So I went absorbed all of that. And I remember him saying, uh, look, if a joke is there, is there, I don't usually, you know, I want to blame the crowd if a joke doesn't work, okay? But if a joke works 999 times and then it doesn't work, <laughs> Then it's the crowd. That's when you can say the crowd. And he was dropping gems like that, you know, uh, rest in peace, uh, uh, Richard Jenny. And and then, you know, so I was I was riding. I was inspired. And I had no idea how to do it. I just knew I was going to do it. So I started, uh, I would audition and, and then I hosted a, uh, audition to host a, uh, uh, like a World Age Day talent show. Then another homecoming talent show. So, and so I would do these auditions and go and then, get it. And I, I was thinking, who is the host? If I could tell a joke, but if it bombs, I could just say, Hey, your next act is this. So you have an out. Yeah. I was hiding behind, behind that. And I knew one day I had to step up, but uh, that, that was my, my intro into it. And then I came back to Chicago and started hitting the open mics. And was at the same time, going to uh second city and going to audition center and act one to learn how to act just in case anything ever happened with this, <laughs> these comedy jokes. Was music a part of it from the beginning? Cause I know a lot of your early stuff that at least that you can see online as are songs. Yeah. The, um, so there was a, a couple of times I went up without the keyboard, uh, probably I must say three. So one time 
I have a cousin who does comedy, and uh, he put me on as a guest, you know, and I, I did a couple of jokes, and then it went pretty good. Uh, the actual first time, though, I, I went up, it was without the keyboard. It was at an open mic, and, a, and it was an out-of-body experience. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no jokes. I had nothing crafted. I was just trying to remember stuff people would tease me about as a kid. And then, you know, so I was like, hey, do I look like Team Wolf? Huh? You know, but but it was an out-of-body experience because there's no, no, I should not have gone back to do comedy after I did it that first time. But something allowed me to feel comfortable up there in the silence, you know, in the people, you know, looking like, okay, enough of you. So then there was a, those were two times. And then there was a third time. Uh, there was this open mic where they would, this thing called Heckler's Heaven, where where they would uh, give people in the audience a rubber chicken. So three people. Uh, you got three minutes to do your thing. You had eight minutes total. But if three people brought up the rubber chickens, you had to get off stage. So you got th- three minutes of not, them not bothering you. Then they ring a bell after three minutes. <laughs> And then people are, you know, either making their way with the chickens or whatever. I got two chickens my first time, and I said, I'm not getting the third chicken. <laughs> um, and then uh, I went back the next week, and I brought the keyboard, and that's the rest is history. Yeah, that really changed things for you, having the keyboard on stage? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's it's, a, it's, a, it's my uh, super comfort zone. You know, it's, we play keys and, and uh, at church, at home, whatever, and, and joking around and stuff, so... That's uh, that's where I'm at. I could wake up and do that. Yeah. Did you perform long as a as a duo with Jerry Minor? Is that we just did that song many places? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one song. So that was and that was a big. That was kind of a formative uh, piece for for you and I guess for him too, right? The uh, somebody's fucking my lady. Now when I asked her to tell me about this now. She just smiled and she said to me, I'm going to take a shower. Somebody's fucking my lady. Somebody's fucking your lady. Somebody's fucking my girl. Somebody's fucking your girl. I don't know where her panties gone. She had them on when she left home. My lady. Somebody's fucking your lady. Somebody's fucking my girl. They probably did it doggy style in the bus. I don't know what. But I think I got a clue. They're doing my lady. It was Jerry's concept. I wrote the song. He, his concept was kind of like the uh, R. Kelly, and when uh, R. Kelly and Mr. Big, uh, the Isley brother, um, Ronald Isley, when they would, um, you know, do those uh, those videos, and, and and so his his concept was like, but what if? Like, like, but one of their partners, you know, their homies, and then you know, so, uh, so it was, it was, it was Jerry. Jerry talked talked about it. And I was like, well, come on in. And we and we uh, sat out and did it. And then uh, yeah, they got got me in some doors, or at least got me to a couple of major auditions where they had you know seen tape me. And, and, and early, and that was early in the career. I didn't realize people were really checking on your tape. Like now, I see that whatever you do, somebody's like got tape on you and this that, and other. But uh so so I was like shocked. I think I went into the office, uh I know I went the office audition and uh Greg Daniels was like, I saw your video, doesn't get 
getting funny than that. I was like, okay, thank All you. All right, yeah. That's a good first step, yeah. Before we get to the, the office, um, I just want to touch on some of these other TV roles that you had pretty early on in your career. You you appeared on a bunch of really big shows, um, you know, starting with Friends, where you had that that scene with Lisa Kudrow. Um, was that a big deal at the time to, to land that uh, bit, the scene on Friends? It was uh, extremely big. It was, you know, three to five lines on Friends, the biggest show <laughs> yeah, was, ever. I, mean, yeah. I don't even think people realize now how big it was then. I mean, it's it's pretty big now, too. Like like The Office, I mean, they're both sort of as maybe as big now as they were then, but there were just millions and millions of people watching them, Friends, every week. Especially. And it was, the, it was the fourth to the last episode of the entire series. Oh, yes, yeah, so you got in right at the end. Right at the end, and people were, you know, were checking for it. So it was, uh, yeah, it was huge. It was, and, you know, it was... Just one of the things, man, when you're out here auditioning and figuring your way out and you get a, a bite or something, man, that's, uh, that's everything. How can I help you? Um, I need to change my name, please. See, I need to change it because I'm, I'm hiding from the law. <laughs> you're fun. I need to fill out this form. Okay. Well, I just so I know I don't know how it works exactly. See, my name is um, Buffet, and my husband's name is Hannigan. So is it supposed to be Buffet Hannigan or Hannigan Buffet? It can be anything you want. Well, not anything. Yeah, anything. Oh, this could take a while. Get out of my line. Okay. And what did that did that lead to? Um, you know, some other ones. There's, I know you were on the the Bernie Mac show, um, and then later on, uh, Arrested Development, Curb Your Enthusiasm. These were sort of like, you know, smaller bits. But what what were were there memories from any of those that that stand out or things that you uh, were thinking about at the time? Oh yeah, you know, Bernie Mac being from Chicago. Uh, you know, I, I had worked with him uh, once in Chicago. And when, when I very first started coming, like I was six months into comedy, and Bernie used to have this um, this speakeasy kind of joint. Uh, it was at Miltroneers. It was downstairs at the Holiday Inn downtown, and people were packed in there at five p.m. The show didn't start till eight. So it was, and then Bernie comes out. He got his his band, and uh, uh, then band had dancers, the macaronis, Bernie Mac. I forget the Mac Man, something like that. Uh, Ali Leroy was uh, working with Bernie, and so um, they, he would bring out. He would do. They would do bits. He would do comedy. They the band is jamming. They bring out a uh, comedian from Chicago and a singer from Chicago, and it was like you know two hour, two and a half hour. It was beautiful, so much fun. And I went down there and uh, and I played my stuff one time for Ali Leroy in the bathroom, and he was cracking <laughs> up in the bathroom. He was like, okay, you on next week, and I went down there and. Uh, and then uh, after I did my performance, Bernie found out I was six months in, so he didn't know. Like, so he he, he didn't know what I was, so he essentially sat down kind of close to me, essentially holding my hand, like, to be like, you know, be cool. And then, and he loved what I did. He was like, Craig, whatever you need, let me know. And then, um, and then I ended up doing his show, um, the uh, Bernie Mac show, which I was a fan of. And, um, and he and he would have uh, a big old like spread in the room for lunch. He, he wants some soul food for lunch. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, forget this catering out here. Let's go up here in Bernie's office. He had his own his own catering. Exactly. It was uh, it was it was an incredible experience. Uh, getting on curb, uh, they you know there was there was a lot of uh, it was like um, if I remember correctly, 
that was kind of an outline, but you you were definitely impro- improvising. Yeah, and no I, script. And I, I I made it on there some kind of way, and, and uh, I think that was season five, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so yeah, that was that was that. And arrested. What am I doing? Arrested. I was a security guard. <laughs> security guard. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I was hitting these uh, hitting these incredible shows and getting my you know my my scene or two in there. So it was. It was nice, nice uh, trajectory. Coming up, Craig and I go deep on The Office, from how he landed the role of Daryl to what he thinks about the obsessive fans who are still clamoring for a reboot. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to my conversations with some of Craig Robinson's collaborators from The Office, like Mindy Kaling and Brian Baumgartner, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Craig Robinson. And then, of course, The Office happens. Um, and I know you you first appeared, I think, in episode four, maybe, of the, of the first season. So you weren't there from the very, very beginning, but you were there early on. You know, I just had uh, Stephen Merchant on this show and talking about the British office a little bit and just about how when the American office was announced that it was going to happen, there was kind of this idea out there that it was just not a very good idea to try to adapt this sort of perfect show from Britain to an American audience. Do you remember hearing that it was going to be adapted? Were you a fan of the of the British one? And what were your you know thoughts about getting on this American one? So, you know, at the time, it was it was an audition that I got, you know, that I, that I su- succeeded in. So you had no idea that the office was was the office, was becoming the office. Um, it's, I, I, I love deadpan humor. I, I, you know, I love like the Harvey Cormans of the world, the Leslie Nielsen's, the, uh, um, um, what's my man, Pink Panther? Oh, Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers, you know, uh, people who could make you like, like, like there's crazy stuff going on around them and they just, you know, <laughs> and when you read the face and then I'm smiling, I love, the deadpan, right? So I happened to watch the the British office on the airplane. Like I don't know what made me. What is it? But I don't know what because it's it looks so dreary, you know. It's like it's, it looks so dull. 
and the, which is purpose because it's supposed to be in office. But um, I, I watched it and I was howling on the plane, cracking up. And I hadn't seen it, hadn't heard anything about it. Didn't have cable at the time, I don't think. And I drove past like a 7-Eleven. I saw a picture of David Britt. I was like, oh, that's, that's that guy from that show. <laughs> and then later on, and I'm getting uh, you know, cast in it. So it was, uh, I, it's funny. I, I, I felt like that, was, that one was meant to be. Yeah, um, you were kind of a, a recurring character. You weren't in every episode at, in those first couple of seasons, um, but you know you'd pop up here and there. Do you remember feeling like you? It took some time to figure out what it, what, who this guy Daryl was, what made him funny, or was it pretty clear from the beginning? Or how did that go for you? I just went in and read the <laughs> read the script. Uh, I, you know, he he always seemed to be the the voice of reason, he, and uh, you know, he was the um, you know, hardworking dude who, you know, was just trying to take care of his daughter and, and get ahead in life any way he could. It wasn't always going the best for him, but he was, you know, slow and steady winning the race kind of thing. So as he, you know, went with the office, I like I said, I never, I didn't know what the office, I, I didn't know how how good this thing was, was year to year. Like, I remember they told me about a storyline a year ahead, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we wrote something for you and Kelly to, uh, you know, to date. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. I'm thinking, hey, another episode, you know, I'll be good to come in. And then, then it never happened. And then, like, a year later, I was like, oh, Daryl and uh, Kelly are dating. So uh, it was awesome that they, you know, saw me and was like, hey, let's write, write him in, write something else for him. Let's put him in more stuff. Yeah, you kind of got Daryl. Kind of gets promoted from the the warehouse to the office, and is that did that coincide with you getting promoted to being a, a series regular? Um, I think it did uh, because that, that moved me up there. So I was I was having a you know I was able to be you know seen every week at that point. And how did that change things for you? Um, I mean, I was a series regular in the office. <laughs> it was season six, I think. It was because, you know, it was like I was doing, you know, a few here. And then I was at, at uh, like seven out of 13. And then I was all, all episodes produced. So, yeah, it was it was awesome. Um, and it was it was awesome. What can I say? It was awesome. It was, it's, it's, it's something about being on the show. It feels like, you know, you got friends everywhere you go. You know what I mean? So it was like, uh, it's, I can't, what can I say? Again, it was awesome. Yeah. Some of my favorite stuff of yours on the show is is with Steve Carell, who's so funny as well. Um, and your relationship, Daryl's relationship with Michael is so great, the way he you kind of fuck with him a lot. Um, what were those scenes like uh, working with, with Steve? It was like championship game day. You know, you hyped up. Okay. <laughs> you're going to, you're seeing with Steve, like, oh, you know, so you're ready. And um and he got he 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 has this ability turn it on and, and at the drop of a dime and you know he has moves uh you know that he goes to that you, that he knows is going to make you laugh you know so um it was it was always a challenge because you want to you know do good and 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 come up with something and on the spot should it need be and uh and it was super fun because. You know, he's uh, the ultimate uh, uh, acting partner, improv partner, you know, yes and all day. Yeah. When you think about the scenes you had with him, is there one that stands out as a 
a favorite or a funniest one, or maybe one where you had the most trouble keeping it together with him? Um, specifically, uh, Lady Clothes. Um, when we were negotiating, and, a, and a, 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 one of the he was going through the rules, he was saying the rules of negotiating, and he was like, number two, decline to speak first. <laughs> So first we moved the location in the meeting. I'm like, no big deal. And then we're sitting there and he's like, <laughs> I'm declining to speak first. I am declining to speak first. Okay, I'll start. It's pretty simple, really. I, um, I think I deserve a raise. I'm scheduled to get one in six months, but I'd like that to be moved up to now. You are a good worker and a good man. I just, you know, times are tight. And I just don't think corporate's going to go for this right now. Are you wearing lady clothes? What? Are you wearing lady clothes? Those look like lady pants. No, this is a power suit. That there's a woman's suit. I do not <laughs> buy women's clothes. Would not make that mistake again. I'm gonna call Roy, man. Okay. This is gonna make All me right. feel better. <laughs> this is too good. But the funny thing was we did two takes, right? And I and I was I was cool. And then the third take, he started doing one of his moves, with his face, whatever. And then if you look, you can see the side of my face kind of smile, kind of trying to look away, but, um, and I think that's the one that kept, yeah. But, uh, so yeah, that was, that was a special moment for me, especially just, you know, cause I think the whole, whole episode I was with Steve, we even went down to the, uh, to see Jan and try to get him some more money. Um, you know, you said you had no idea at the beginning how big it would become. And I don't think anybody did. Um, and even to this day, you know, now I think it's on Peacock and even more people are seeing it. Um, and there's everyone's always talking about reunions and reboots and stuff. How what what has the impact of it been on on your career, but also just your life in terms of going around? I mean, and getting recognized. And there's just so many people out there who must know you from the show. Well, it's like I said, it's like you have friends everywhere. Uh People do come out and support, and you know uh, my, my shows sell out, um, uh, my comedy shows, and uh, I know it's it's been a heavy influence on my life like that. So yeah, it's that's what it is. Fantastic. Do you? Uh, I think you know. There's some cast members like I talked to Steve Carell way back, and he you know said there wouldn't really be any point in going back to the show because, you know, it wouldn't be what people want or it wouldn't be the same. Is that, do you feel the same way or do you think like you would welcome a return to it? If they said, Hey, we're doing a, uh, you know, a reunion or what, what have you. I would be like, Yo, what's up? What's Daryl doing? Is he an <laughs> ath athlete? What's he doing now? Um, so I don't, I mean, if, if Greg Daniels is spearheading it, then, then it, it's going to be fantastic. So I also want to talk about some of your uh, film work um, over the years, uh, starting with Knocked Up, um, which I think was all, another sort of breakthrough role for you, um, even though it's just that one scene. Um, and Judd Apatow, I think, talks a lot about that scene um, where you're the the doorman at the club as you know an example of sort of how he works and how things change in the moment um, and that, you know, throwing out lines. Um, what was your experience working on that uh, scene in that movie and in his getting sort of acclimated to, to his style? 
Yeah, he just let the camera run and run, and uh, and I had that monologue memorized back and forth. And uh, in the moment, uh, you know, I, I didn't know that uh, Leslie Mann was his wife. You didn't know? I did not know. <laughs> so, so was, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't know. Or else yeah, I'd be like, that was pretty yes, best. Please come into the club. You guys are welcome. <laughs> That's so funny. And, uh, but um, I was like, you know, improvising and, and uh, so it, it essentially turned out the top half of the monologue was a jet, and then the bottom half was me with the, you know, with the crazy, uh, can't have no old pregnant bitches running around, stuff <laughs> like that. You're right. I'm so sorry. I fucking hate this job. I don't want to be the one to pass judgment, decide who gets in. Shit makes me sick in my stomach. I get the runs from the stress. It's not because you're not hot. I would love to tap that ass. I would tear that ass up. I can't let you in because you're old as fuck. For this club, not, you know, for the earth. What? You old, she pregnant. Can't have a bunch of old pregnant bitches running around. That's crazy. I'm only allowed to let in 5% black people. He said that, 5%. That mean, if it's 25 people here, I get to let in one and a quarter black people. So I got a hope it's a black midget in the crowd. Now I feel guilty. I'm sorry. Why y'all want to be in here anyway? I need to be at a yoga class or something. What the fuck is she doing at the club? That's that's not even good parenting right there. Your old ass should know better than that. But yeah, it was it was a crazy experience because I had to had to leave Vegas because I was performing in Vegas. Had to take a night off, fly, standby, back and forth. So it was like, oh God, please can I make the flight? Okay, made it. You know. Go through the, the gig. On the gig is, uh, you know, it was, I happened, that's when I met Danny McBride. He was hanging out. And yeah, and so uh, they showed us Fifth Foot Way and stuff. I was like, who is this dude? And so, um, and then we ended up, you know. Yeah, and that kind of was your, uh, you know, entry into this world of Apatow and Seth Rogen and Danny McBride and all these uh, movies, Pineapple Express. Um, uh, this is the End is one of my favorites. Uh, and that one, you you know, you really are one of the leads of the movie and with those guys and you're playing yourself. So what was that like to all of a sudden be playing yourself in this big movie, um, you know, with all those guys? And and how did you think about that, um, which is was kind of a strange thing to to play that everyone was playing themselves in that movie? If I recall correctly, I don't think the powers that be were on board for, for us to play heightened versions of ourselves. I forget. I, I think they had to to fight to uh, get that to happen. Um, but I was apparently the first one to say yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's because they first, I was the first one they approached, but I was like, oh, absolutely. And um, and so we were, we shot that in New Orleans for like two months or something around that, maybe two or three months. So imagine that crew in New Orleans. And like, I think, I think uh, we went to see like Bill, Bill DeVoe at the House of Blues and stuff. It was one of those nights that, uh, you were out and you, you know, you come out and the um, you were out all night and you come outside and the, and the light and the, you know, the sun is shining. Well, I remember we had one a night like that. Uh, <laughs> Danny and I went and had some absence one night. <laughs> um, it was just it was a it was a time of 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 my life for sure. Yeah, I mean, it seems like especially at the beginning part of the movie that it's just one one big party, including when you get to sing your song uh, "Take Your Panties Off" with Rihanna. Take your panties off, yeah. yeah. 
Now, fellas, I want you to real sexy right now. We're going to sing to all the ladies. All the fellas go like this in your very white voice. And take your panties off. Take your panties off. Take your panties off. Come on, Rihanna, take your panties off of me. Come on, Craig, can you fuck off of me? I'll do one of them things. <laughs> Which must have been pretty, pretty crazy. Epic. Rihanna's a definition of unbothered. Her name was all in the, the trades and, you know, whatever <laughs> was going. You, you'd have thought... <laughs> She she was just floating on flowers, man. She was amazing. She was too cool. What else stands out from from making that movie? Because um, it, it gets pretty elaborate, uh, you know, towards the end too. I, I can't imagine what what that was like to to film some of the the crazier parts towards the end. One of the uh, my favorite memories from that is Jonah and Franco did a show. It was essentially for me. They were improvising, and they were. I'm telling you, I'm tears. And they were just going back and forth. I mean, it was for them, but I was the only one there. So essentially, <laughs> I'll be in the tape. I'm like 30 minutes. They're doing these accents and going out. Oh, it was hysterical. Um, so yeah, it, it was. Uh, and I remember, uh oh, about we were sitting at the table, and this is when we were like giving up all the food and all that stuff. And uh, and I love about this crew is like you got to get in where, where you fit in, you know. So. Uh, so I would I would just hop in with the you know, I I would really like uh you know be pretty bummed out if I don't get a piece of the Milky Way you know some <laughs> some stuff is just not written you gotta hop in there and get it yeah you gotta fight for your your lines in there and I remember Seth had did his coverage then by the time we went all the way around the table Seth had to go again because so much other stuff had happened so um yeah that it was a that was a wild wild time. Can I have that Milky Way? No, you can't have the Milky Way. That's my Milky Way. I went out this morning, specifically bought this Milky Way to eat after my party. That's weird. It's not weird. It's my special food. I like it. Back me up on that, Seth. I don't think you should get the whole Milky Way. I want some of the Milky Way. I'd be pretty bummed if I don't at least get a bite of the Milky Way. Oh, now Craig wants a bite of the Milky Way. Yeah, I want a bite of the Milky Way. It's the fucking Milky Way. A fifth of everything is what's fair and reasonable. Everyone gets a fifth of everything. I want one fifth of your T-shirt. I want the bottom part, the belly. I'm not sporting a crop top in your house. I cut that shit off, make a headband. You couldn't handle my midriff. Guys, the only issue is I kind of need the Milky Way. For fuck's sake. No, for real, I have low blood sugar, and if my endorphins drop too low, I'm going to be a nightmare to be around. What? Your LBS starts acting up, you can have a finger scoop of Nutella. One okay? finger scoop of Nutella. Fair. So what I want to do now is our segment called The First Laugh. So I'm going to go through some firsts in your uh, career and, and about comedy and, and get some get some stories from you, if that's okay. Uh, so going all the way back, do you remember the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid or one of the first, something that, that stands out from your childhood that made you laugh? I would laugh at the Three Stooges. Yeah, I watched Three Stooges and the Little Rascals. That was my thing, but I, I'm trying to remember something just making me crack up. I, I've always, now that you asked me that, I've always kind of seen it as a, watched as a student. You know what I mean? Like like Larry from the Three Stooges would stand out to me. Just because he would do these little subtle things, you know? I mean, they would do big stuff, but obviously, you know, then be like these little things that would make me watch him. But I, I don't remember the first thing that we left. You talked a little bit about your first time performing comedy on stage, but do you remember the first joke that really worked that you uh, could go back to and that you felt like really made audiences laugh, the, the first thing that you wrote that, that really connected? 
Yeah, it was this poem. And I was in college and and I went to, uh, they had some kind of art artist night and people could go up and do whatever they want. It was one of the theater rooms. And I went and I was messing on the piano, messing around and, and I had this poem. So my father would, uh, when I was sad, my father would comfort me. He would say, comfort me. He would say, stop crying. And uh, I want to do this poem. And actually I did it on Def Jam. I mean, stop crying, stop crying right now before I give you something to cry about. You know? And uh, <laughs> you make it a scene, you know that it's wrong. Just wait till we get home. And it was, uh, you know, once I got a, a laugh or two, I was like, oh, okay. And then, um, yeah, that was, that was the first first joke that I, the pretty much first joke I wrote. Was, was Def Comedy Jam really your first time performing on uh, TV? In a big way? Yes. What was that like? Shocking. <laughs> I, I won a contest to get on there. And uh, Miller, genuine draft. I won in 1996. No, yeah. So, I think, is that wow? Yeah. Yeah, because Bob was a judge, I think. If I'm, anyway, won it. And uh, then you was supposed to get a chance to be on Dev College. Yeah. Didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything on my birthday. Got the call. Hey, Craig, you going, uh, oh, you, you got to bring your, your, your hottest seven minutes. Uh, <laughs> you're you going to do, and because we're going to shoot four and we're going to show three. So they would shoot four people and cut one or something like that. That's pressure. Yeah. yeah. So I went and I, you know, I was practicing my team in the mirror, you know, practice, practice, practice on every word to go right. And, uh, and I was scared, you know, the, the Def Jam audience. I'll, I'll do this, you know, uh, reverse energy, like dead, deadpan, one joke at a time. I'm on a keyboard, I'm sitting down. Like, they hadn't seen that. So I'm like, how are they going to react? Went out there, had an incredible time. And, uh, and you know, God God is good. What can I say? And so, uh, so yeah, that was that. Yeah, you felt like you were bringing kind of a different energy to Deaf Comedy Jam than, than what was usually Yeah, there. and I was just hoping that they, you know, that I could connect and they would ride with me and they did ride. And I, and I did a nice, nice kid Capri. Uh, I joked that I would do with the DJs and, uh, and then it blew up. It was nice. Do you have a, a memory or story about a meeting a comedy hero for the first time? Uh, someone who you really looked up to in comedy and what it was like to, oh, to meet several. them for the first time? I met Richard Pryor. Um, oh, yeah? I was walk, walking out the comedy store and, um, because you know and he was in the wheelchair stuff at this time, and uh, he had gone up, and, and then they were letting us, you know, shake his hands, and I uh, just say hello, I love you, and, and keep it moving. I met uh, I met Eddie Murphy. I worked with Eddie Murphy. Yeah, a couple times Dolomite, now. Right? yeah, yeah. So that and that that's you know, Richard is, is, is the tops. To, Eddie is is you know, I I I have stolen so much from Eddie that I didn't even know even like facial expression stuff that I didn't realize until I rewatched Raw or something. I was like, okay, I do that, I do that. I sound like that. So, so uh, luckily it's coming from my face so you can't really tell, but um, with Eddie's, Eddie's prints all over. Um, Cosby, we were doing the uh, uh, Comedy Central Commies and uh, we, we were my, the house band. Nasty Delicious was the house band. And so we were doing uh, uh, so Cosby was getting some award and we were like, we played the, uh, he was like, which version are you playing? And I was like, oh, I think it's the, I think it was like a jazzy one, maybe the Latin one. 
he was like, oh, yes, yes. He was so happy <laughs> about that. So um, uh, I met uh, uh, Ronnie Dangerfield, oh, wow. another com- Comedy Central thing. And he actually was like, uh, you're very funny. And he was talking about me and uh, Jerry because we did our thing. So Ronnie Dangerfield gave me that, you know. Wow. That that's, was, a, yeah. that's a vote of confidence. That'll keep it going exactly. for a while. Exactly. Yeah. So it was like, somebody didn't like it. It's like, well, you know, Ronnie Dangerfield told me different. So. <laughs> Um, finally, I like to ask comedians, uh, about the last piece of comedy that, that made you laugh really hard. Um, what's something that you've seen recently, uh, that really made you laugh? Nephew Tommy is, uh, he works, uh, and I don't even know if he, they're still doing this. I don't know if it's old. It, it was definitely an old one, but he does these prank calls and he gets these people so mad and the things that he <laughs> says to, to turn the, the flames. Oh my God, dude. He did one that was called, um, uh, it's a real popular one too, and I just, the, I just, uh, I was just in my hotel room in uh, San Jose. I couldn't breathe. I kept, I had to <laughs> stop it, and it started again. I was choking. Oh man! Oh, the guy, the guy left his medicine. The guy here, so somebody's house had gotten broken into, right? So nephew Tommy calls the guy whose house got broken into. In real life, his house got broken into, but nephew Tommy calls to tell him that he dropped his medicine. And he needs to come get his medicine. And the dude was, what? Oh, my God, dude. It's, it's, <laughs> it's classic. But, yeah, and, uh, and I'm sure that's some years old. I don't know if he still does not but it's, uh, it's, 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 it was harder to get funnier than that. <laughs> well, uh, your new show is really funny, and uh, congrats on it. And, um, yeah, I hope everybody checks it out. So thanks so much for doing this, Craig. I'm so glad you saw something. Uh, you know, I'm waiting on this feedback, so... Thank yeah. you. No, I think it's great. And I, I can't wait to see the rest. I saw, the, I guess, the first half probably. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see more. We have a blast, man. So thank you so much. Yeah. Congrats, man. Right on. All right. Thanks so much to Craig Robinson for coming on today's show. The first episode of Killing It is available to stream right now on Peacock. And the rest of the season goes up this Thursday, April 14th. So definitely check that out when you can. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. And don't forget to vote for The Last Laugh at the Webby Awards by clicking the link in the description for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.